Because today is the first, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think that today is probably one of the most important days of our year, that we do this every year. Um, and it's our tradition here to, um, to pray over kids before they go to school. I, it's, it's our tradition. It was our family's tradition. Um, and uh, um, I hope that this becomes a tradition for you, not annual tradition, but a daily tradition. Here's, here, here are a couple of scriptures that kind of set the groundwork for us. And this is from Matthew 19. Then little children were brought to him, that's to Jesus, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked him. What are you doing, Jesus? Wow. Think about that picture for a minute. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he departed from there. It was a common practice then to bring children to a rabbi um, who would lay their hand on the child and they would bless the child, they would pray for the child's safety, they would pray for the child's future. It was a very, very common practice that went all the way back to the patriarchs. And so um, no wonder that a person would, would want to bring their child to, to Jesus, I mean, to place their child into Jesus' hands because they'd watched God heal people. They'd watched him take blind eyes and fix them. They'd watched him take deaf ears and make them work again. So um, who wouldn't want to get their children into the hands of Jesus, right? And, and so I would suggest to you as parents that you get your children to Jesus as quickly as you can. As quickly as you can. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, who is one of my favorite preachers to read, Charles, who lived uh, over 100 years ago, lived and died, he was Preached a, he preached in a big church in, in London. Um, he said, he put it this way, before a child reaches seven, teach him all the way to heaven. And better still, the work will thrive if he learns before he's five. And I think it's a, as young as you can, um, a parent, because a parent is actually a partner with God in dis- discipling and raising children up. I, I think that children, I really believe this is true, children want to come to Jesus they naturally want to come to Jesus. Once they find out about him, I've even noticed that in, in families that had nothing to do with God, children are open-hearted about the things of Jesus. And, uh, um, and, and it's, often, it's, it's too often that it's the adults that kind of somehow stand in the way. I, I, I think that God put that within their hearts, that he draws them. And parents, you know, I want to say to you parents, don't steer your children away from the Lord. Don't do that inadvertently. I don't think we would do that. I, I think as parents, we need to make it easy for kids to come to Jesus. We've got to make it easy for them to come to him. And um, any, any signal that they would give you that is an open door, rush through it and, 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 and invest time in that. Evangelize them. Seize all those little moments. James 5.16 tells us this. It says, the prayer of the righteous one avails much. And um, this righteous person that is, this is describing is, is, is a holy person, is, is, a, is, a, is an innocent person from the standpoint of judgment, a saved person, the, the prayers of a righteous person. This is speaking about the prayers of believers, believers. Now, it's not talking about people who don't know God because you find out if you read in John chapter 9 that God does not hear the prayer of sinners. It's a harsh truth, but it's true. So powerful and effective, the words there means to exercise force. It means this scripture is telling you that a, when a believer prayers, you set loose powerful things, multiple things that go far and go wide. Prayerful and effective are your prayers, especially for your kids. Um, 
I, I showed this picture a year ago of Ben, my son Ben's first day of kindergarten. <laughs> Leave that up for a minute, would you? Just because it warms me. <laughs> ben was about to get on the school bus for his very first day of kindergarten. So for about five years, Lisa and I supervised every moment of his life. Um, I mean, we supervised, we watched over, maybe we traded kids with other parents where they would babysit and so forth. But I mean, for the most part, we supervised every moment, and all of a sudden, we were sticking him on a big yellow vehicle and hoping he would come back. <laughs> kind of hoping he would come back. <laughs> now, we love our son, but um, uh, we, we decided before he went on that bus, we were going to pray over him. And I will confess to you, I think we started the prayer because we were scared. What's going to happen to our boy? You know, what will happen when he goes away? And, of course, he came back, and, um, but we prayed that day. And we decided we, the next day we were still scared, so we prayed again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next year. And, in fact, for Lisa and me, I can tell you um, that without fail... Our children were prayed over every single day, all of them, before they ever went to school. And our prayers took a pattern. It's kind of funny now with Ben, who's a grown adult in his middle 30s. He's a father on his own. He's a structural engineer. He figures stuff out that I can't understand, and he's very competent. When they come and visit us, or if we go to visit them, he will not let us depart at the end of that time without praying for him. It got drilled down into his soul as a little child. I want the covering prayer of my parents. It doesn't go away. I hope that somehow you get infected with this, that you will not let your kids go without praying over them. And it doesn't have to be a big, long deal. I can tell you the kinds of things that we prayed about. And um, last year we had a... Um, uh, a magnet that we gave out. There are going to be some available. They're out on a table out there. But basically, when we pray for our kids, and this is what we're going to do today. We're going to pray over students later. We're going to pray over educators, teachers, whoever, homeschool parents, whoever it is that is part of the education process, whether they're receiving or delivering. We want to cover in prayer today. Um, we, would, we were praying for our kids these things, that they would learn to, dis to, to discern between the truth of God, and the philosophies of mankind. Don't you think that's a good idea for kids to be able to figure out? Go, oh, okay, I get that. That's, I, know, I see where that's coming from. And they can look at things through that lens. We pray for their wisdom, that they would have a love for other people. We prayed that when they would intermingle with the world and, and their friends, that they would become influencers of righteousness rather than being influenced and driven by culture. That's a great prayer for your kids. That's a great prayer for your kids. And we pray that they would be physically, spiritually, and emotionally protected and they would come safely home. It's that simple. And as long as I took to tell you, that's as long as the prayers mostly were. They weren't big, lengthy prayers. So here's where we're going to go today. Um, Pastor Aaron's going to come up and share the word of the Lord with us. And then um, when that, it's going to be a brief version today. And when that's done, what we're going to do is leaders are going to disperse around the room. Aaron will direct us, and uh, we will ask you to go for a prayer. And it will be brief. This is not a generic prayer today. This is about praying and covering over us in our school year and our, and our entry into this next, next season. So where's Pastor Aaron? Oh, there he is right here. Let me get out of your way. Thank you for sharing today. By the way, thank you for preaching while I was gone. And to Seth, wherever Seth is, thank you for well covering the pulpit. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. 
That's really loud. I like it. <laughs> Sounds powerful. Um, so uh, first, before we get into, into the word uh, this morning, I just want to take an opportunity to talk a little bit about camp. Um, in the time that we had, uh, which was just a couple weeks ago at camp. Oh, we have a nice picture up. Awesome. Um, and so uh, this is our group that we took to camp. Uh, we took 18 students to camp this year, um, which, yeah, uh, that's far surpasses any number that we've ever taken uh, to camp. And, and as I look at this picture, and uh, the tears will come because they do every time I talk about camp because uh, it's that powerful. Um, that this is 18 people whose lives were changed by an encounter with Jesus over the course of a week. Um, and uh, I think that's 18 people who will uh, go into schools this year empowered um, by the grace of Jesus, empowered by the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Dang, every, every year. Um, anyways, um, so our, our theme... Um, uh, for camp this year was called Uncommon. And I, I really think that there's um, not much of a greater thing that we could teach our kids um, that they're called to be uncommon. They're called to be different. And um, they're not just called to maybe stand out in like the the peer pressure form or things like that, but our students are called to look different in the way that they treat other students. They're called to be uncommon in the way that they love um, the other kids around them, to have an uncommon love for other people. And and teaching them about that, I think there's just nothing more powerful than when at a young age they can grasp the idea that that Jesus loves in a different way, and he empowers us to love in that way. Amen? Um, And one of the things that I heard from our students this year uh, is that they learned to listen to the voice of the Lord. As teenagers. And they heard the Lord speak purpose into their lives. Because there's a world that is speaking the opposite of godly purpose to their lives right now. And so for them to go away for a week and hear godly purpose spoken into their lives, that God's got a plan for them. Some of them were um, redeemed at camp. Um, some of them were called at camp. And it's just a, it's a powerful time. And I really believe that youth camp can be a catalyst for students' futures. And that's exactly what it was this year. And I'm, I'm just so excited to see what this group of young people is going to do for the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay, enough crying. Let's roll. Um, so we're going to take some time this morning to, to dig into the Word for a few minutes. Um, and then we're going to spend some time, like Terry said, praying over our students, praying over the, the school staff, praying for homeschool parents, anyone who's involved in education. Our goal is that you would leave today um, covered in prayer and empowered to walk into um, a, a world full of, of hate, a world that doesn't have hope, and that you would be empowered 
to spread and teach the love of Jesus and to share the love of Jesus with broken, hurting people. Cool? That's our goal for today. So um, as every week uh, we spend time in the Word of God, and the reason that we open up the Bible is because we believe it is the ultimate truth, it is power, um, and that when we read it, our lives are changed. So we're going to be in the book of John chapter 8 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 8. Um, If not, it's going to be up on the screen for us. Um, And I'm going to title my message, Uncommon Grace. And what I want to talk to us about this morning is that idea that we as a church are called to have a different type of grace than what the rest of the world gives, an uncommon grace. And we're going to find that in the life of Jesus this morning. Um, And so in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we're going to look at at this story of of an encounter with Jesus. And it says, but... Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst and said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and now, the law, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued, he asked, continued to ask, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when, he heard, and when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones and tell And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Let's pray as we we dig into the word this morning. Father, I, I pray that um, Lord, that you would be with us um, in this, these moments, Lord God, as we spend some time in your word. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would um, speak to each one of us individually, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to grasp the hold of the love and the grace that you have for us, Lord God, so that we could go into the world sharing that love and grace, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, have you ever been in a moment where you've been caught red-handed, like there's no doubt I am absolutely in the wrong and I'm in trouble. Um, if, if you say no to that, I'm, you're here for a good reason. Um, you're in church for a good reason. I've been, I've been in that moment and um, my, my mom's in the room, um, so she gets to hear these stories maybe for the first time about moments I've caught red-handed, doing things maybe I shouldn't have been doing. Um, and so uh, in, in growing up, um, my dad taught me that if you want to know how to best drive and control a vehicle, it's best to, to do that once it's out of control. And, and, and so I learned that the best way to learn to do that is normally in a snowy, empty parking lot or whatever, and that you would put the vehicle out of control so that you learned how to gain back control of your vehicle. It's a great lesson for driving, and so that when emergency situations come, you know how to get back into control and control the vehicle. Well, 
sometimes you begin to realize that there's a little bit of adrenaline rush in those moments, and it's kind of fun. And you're like, okay, I, I like this. And so uh, maybe this carried on. And I had a really sweet car in high school. Uh, it was this maroon Ford Escort. It was a 1995. It was hot. I'm, I'm like, just is 88 horsepower, had some sweet 17-inch rims on it. Hot car, I'm telling you. Cat-back exhaust. Why do that to a Ford Escort? I don't know, because I was 16. Um, trying to impress girls, which is where the story goes. Um, and so uh, I worked at a big church in Olympia that had a big parking lot, uh, which happened to be nice for these kind of events. Um, and so one day while trying to impress a, a girl that I was dating who might be sitting in the front row today, um, we were in said church parking lot and it just was set up perfect that you could go down one row and maybe pull an e-brake and, and then just turn the corner and then go right down another row. And so I, I remember as um, I was in this parking lot and the e-brake happened uh, to get applied and we went sideways and then corrected and then came back down another strip. And as we were coming back to facing down the, the correct path, here comes the Olympia police um, pulling into the parking lot with their spotlight pointed straight into my window. And I was like, I just remember stopping. I'm mean, like, oh, I'm done. I've been, I've been caught. And what proceeded to happen is the police officer pulled up next to us and began to chew me out for being a, a young, cocky boy who was just trying to impress girls and yada, yada, yada. And, um, and I paid, but it was that moment of like, oh man, I'm, a, I'm embarrassed. My girlfriend that I'm trying to impress is clearly em embarrassed by the stupidity of the boyfriend that she chose <laughs> and later married, so great. Um, but that moment of being caught red-handed, it never feels good, whatever the case is. It never feels good when we're caught red-handed. And here we have this woman... She's caught red-handed in the middle of sin, and she's drugged out into the city courts. And this really has to be the most embarrassing moment of this woman's life. And what I find interesting about this time is that the guys and the accusers in this, I don't think they have any intention of following all the way through with what they're asking Jesus about. They're saying, Jesus, shouldn't we stone her? Put her to death right now? Which they, they can't have any intention of following through with that because that was no longer in this time those laws had become obsolete. They were no longer common practice. In fact, the Roman government was in control and so these Jewish Pharisees had no authority to even put her to death and they came out for the purpose one, in humiliation of the woman to make themselves feel better, and two, to prove their righteousness above Jesus' righteousness. Their only purpose in this moment is to prove their own righteousness. And the first point that I want to make this morning is that our righteousness, 
outside of Jesus is always justified at the expense of others. Our righteousness, when it's justified by how good I am, it's always justified at the expense of somebody else. And in Luke chapter 18, we see this. And I think sometimes we can bat an eye at at a Pharisee here, but I think there's some part in each one of us that deals with this on whatever level consistently. And it says, and he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The tax collector would have been considered like the lowest of low people at the time, at least as far as sin goes. He, he was a cheater. He was a disgrace to his own people. He stole. And so they're, they're there. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed. He prayed this, God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you so much. I'm not like other men. So much better. Thank you, Jesus. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think it's just part of our human nature, our human condition to always be in the comparison game. Whatever the sin in our life, at least it's not as bad as this person. At least it's not as bad as this. And we begin to justify, but always at the expense of other people. And if we earn our righteousness 10 out of 10 times, guarantee if you earn your righteousness, it's going to be hung over someone else's head. And that's why in Ephesians 2, it says this, for by grace, you have been saved through faith says, this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that no one should boast. It's in our nature. You watch all through the Old Testament as any time that God performed a miracle, if it looked any bit like it could have been Israel who won the battle, they boasted. They boasted on their strength. And as we look at this story back in John chapter 8, I think it leads us straight to this idea of the Levitical law versus grace. The law versus grace. And I think often as, as a church, we can construe this idea to be something of a balance between the two, or, or at least a balance between truth and a balance between grace. That we have to balance grace with truth and grace with truth. 
But I think this ideology kind of falls short because it separates the idea, it separates grace and truth. And it says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. He was full of grace and truth. See, the two, I don't believe, can be separated. I don't think that you can have truth without grace. And that if we believe in absolute truth, that the truth is the grace. And then it says that Jesus, in John chapter 14, he has famous words. I think most of us, if we've been in church for a bit, know it. It says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, Jesus is the truth, and he came full of grace. Jesus is the truth, full of grace. And so what they do is they bring this woman to truth in expectation of a sentence an expectation of condemnation and humiliation, but what they don't know is that the truth is there for a purpose. It's there for redemption, and it's there not to bind in chains, but to break the bondage of sin. And what's interesting about this moment is that truth, the truth, Jesus is the only one out of the entire crowd that would have been worthy to cast a stone. He says, you of no sin throw the first stone. He's the only one who's worthy to cast a stone to condemn, and we see him full of grace in this moment. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The Bible says, for he did not come to condemn the world, but the world, that the world might be saved through him. See, they brought to truth for condemnation, for humiliation, rather than knowing that the truth was there to set people free. And I think sometimes we have this, this balance, right, of, of truth and grace, and, and we, we speak a little bit of truth, a whole lot of grace, and there's this, this balance, and we, we separate the two out, because we think maybe the, the truth hurts, or it's got a negative spin to it, or the world's taking the truth, and it, it's not good, but the truth is always good. If we know what the whole truth is, the whole truth. See, I think sometimes we settle for a little bit of the truth. And that's what was exactly what happened in, in the garden is that Satan took a little bit of truth and he twisted it to make a lie. And he's been doing that for 6,000 years worth of taking a little bit of truth and twisting it into a lie but we overcome that when we understand what the whole truth is. See, sometimes we get focused on a little bit of the truth. Here's the truth right here, the whole entire truth. And let me know if this needs sugar-coated and any more grace. 
6,000 years ago, a guy named Adam sinned. And since then, the earth has been bound by sin and the wage of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short. But, now I learned something growing up, is that when you see a but in a sentence, it kind of voids out a little bit of what was before it, or it's not as, as good, right? We have the, the sandwich idea of compliments, you know, a compliment, something kind of not nice in the middle, another compliment. That's not the way that truth works, okay? It's all good, but we have to continue on. But God so loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, it's starting to sound really good now, shall not perish but have eternal life. And that 2,000 years ago, that son was beaten to the brink of death, hung on a cross as a sinner, bearing the burden of sin for the entire world. And with his last breath, he said the words to Talistai, which in the Greek mean it's finished. A price has been paid in full. A debt had been paid in full. A wage had been paid in full. And at that moment, a curtain that separated God and man was torn in two. And no longer do we live bound by sin, but in that moment, Jesus defeated sin so that we can live in freedom and communion with him. That's the truth. That's the whole truth. That's all of it. But sometimes we just focus on that beginning part and it gets twisted into a lie. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. What I've done in the past separates me from God. You missed the good part. And I think sometimes we fail to walk into the world with the good part of the truth. And we allow that lie to continue and spread and grow rather than to show and to add light to the whole truth. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you can hear it when we read through the truth, but it's grace. All the way through, it's redemption. It's not getting what we deserve And one thing I know is this, is that real truth, real truth is the same in every single circumstance. It's true for me, it's true for you, it's true then, it's true now. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter where you are right now in your walk with Jesus, the truth is truth, and it's redemption and it's grace. It doesn't matter what you were doing last night or last week, the truth is truth and it's redemption and it's grace. Your sin was paid for 2,000 years ago with a sinless man nailed to a cross. It was finished then and it's finished today. That's the truth. My prayer for this year, for us as a church, for us as a community, for the students that walk back into schools, for the teachers that walk back into schools, is that this truth, the whole truth, would spread like wildfire through our community. That we would send people 
today empowered in the truth, full of truth and grace. And that the truth would set a community free. My prayer is that this place, and our prayer is, as, a, as a church team is that this place, we believe is called to be a place where anybody can embrace Jesus. Anybody can embrace Jesus. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Anybody can embrace Jesus. Jew or Greek, slave or free. Conservative, liberal, Christian, atheist, cool kid or the kid that sits alone, the band kid or the sports kid, they are all precious in his sight and anybody can embrace Jesus. Common grace has boundaries. The grace that we see in the world, common grace has boundaries. Common grace has stipulations. And it only goes so far. Uncommon grace has no boundaries. It holds no record of wrong. It has no stipulations and it never runs out. The truth is truth in every circumstance. And as we close, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we're going to move into a time of, of prayer and worship And my heart would be that today we would choose to take a stance upon truth, that we would take a stance within our community, that we would leave here not just as students or or faculty, but we would leave here empowered in the truth. Amen? Amen? And that this would be a different day, a different Sunday morning. And that I believe that that we could have a moment this morning that we look back on in the future and say something changed when we chose to say yes to truth. I'm going to close in prayer and then... We're going to move into a time and, and, the, and the prayer team and the, and the pastors are going to come up and we're going to begin to pray for students. And I'm so excited that we get to cover our students and our teachers and our church faculty in the grace of Jesus, that we get to cover them in the protection, that we get to send them out of this place into a broken world as vessels of truth and grace. That's our goal of this morning is that we would be sent out full of truth, full of grace. Amen. Lord, I pray that as we um, continue on with our service, Lord God, I pray that you would not quit speaking in these moments, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would empower us, Father God, going out of this place to be light into a dark world, Lord God, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the earth, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would be a city set on a hill, Father God, that cannot be put out, Lord God. Lord, that your grace, your truth, and your light would radiate out of this building, out of these people into this community, Lord God. Lord, that something would begin to shift in Rochester, in Tenino, Lord God, because of what you choose to do in these moments this morning, Lord God. We're excited for that, and we believe that in Jesus' name. So 
if I could have our, our prayer team and, and um, our pastors, we're going to spread out through the room. And I want to give an opportunity this morning, whether you're a, a student, a parent of a student who needs prayer, a homeschool parent, a teacher, a superintendent, a school janitor, whatever it may be, we would love to take some time to pray for you, to empower you to go out into a new year. Amen? So the, the worship team's going to play softly behind us. Everybody spread out through the room. Find somebody to pray for you. Don't miss a moment to be prayed for. Amen?